this is Rajiv Narang and you are listening to Leaders Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Well, I am an innovation evangelist uh, with with the mission to transform lives uh, in all aspects uh, and pretty much have engaged across countries and cultures in, in businesses, so social enterprises and public services. The, uh, with the single-minded mission being to apply innovation to have a transformative impact on life and on the planet. Hmm. And doing that through a variety of different ways, you are the, the founder of an amazing consulting firm and also uh, the author of a pretty, a pretty good book that I, I really like because it provides a name to sort of what we're uh, what we're talking about when we talk about these really big ideas that create history and improve lives. You know, they, they, everybody floats around this term, disruptive innovation, but that's such sort of a negative term that I love that you've recoined these sort of things, uh, orbit-shifting innovations, that these ideas that change history are, are orbit-shifting. Tell us a little bit about that concept, where that came from, even where that term came from, maybe. Well, actually, uh, we're, 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 uh, over these years, and this has been 20 years now, that, that we've been on this journey of uh, of creating a way to, to make big leaps happen. And uh, the, the way that uh, the term orbit shifting really came from is, is, is more with an insight into what makes it so difficult to make it happen. I mean, uh, across these years, what we found is that, and today especially, David, uh, you, you, you will see that virtually no CEO be dare caught not talking innovation. Everybody is talking it, but very few people do it. And when we were st- uh, trying to get an insight into what makes it so difficult, the, the, the best understanding of that that struck us was the physics metaphor of gravity. Really, it is that force that pulls down no matter what attempts at change are attempted. And especially a proactive, positive change is even more tough, which is what innovation is about. So really, and what does it take to break through gravity? Unless an idea has escaped velocity, it will come back. I'm still sticking to the physics metaphor, and that's really what orbit shifting is fundamentally about, to create an irreversible but positive change and a, and a leap. Hmm. So that, that's really the way the team emerged from orbit shifting. And also what it explains very strongly is how all of us with the societies, organizations, we get stuck into maintaining an orbit. Everybody gets a vested interest in just simply maintaining it. And they develops a sense of calm and comfort zones. All those metaphors are really associated with maintaining an orbit. So uh, the, what we are set off on is a journey to find ways to shift the orbit. And that is the where uh, the term orbit shifting innovation originates from. Well, and I really, you know, when I read the book, and granted, it's largely a semantic debate, but when I read the book, I kept thinking about the difference between senior leaders and senior managers in the Uh idea that senior managers are really just trying to keep the orbit, the current orbit working as efficiently as possible. And even they'll give lip service to terms like innovation, but they're really not trying to lead giant leaps forward for the company or even for the society. They're not trying to, to make orbit shifting innovation. They're just trying to pay lip service to innovation, but stay inside of orbit. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about gravity then, using this physics metaphor. How, how do we, I mean, in, in most organizations, there's a bunch of different gravitational forces that are keeping us from being orbit shifting. Um, what are those? How do we break free of, of gravity, in essence, and actually get into shifting the orbit? Actually, if you notice, gravity has a way of creeping up on us, all of us. Uh, any 
society organization gathers it over a period and uh, the, the uh, one of my uh, very strong uh, encounters with it has been that it that actually which is non organizational is that when when you find students leaving college and you go to ask them the more ambitious ones in them will tell you uh, very big things in fact when you ask them uh, what do you want to do a number of them will say with a smoldering passion i want to change the world and when you meet these same guys 10 years later it's very unfortunate more often than not the world has changed them they become hopelessly practical by now you notice how gravity has crept up and decimated your dreams and the, the, and over a period in an organization the same thing happens previous success becomes norms norms become the ways of looking at the future when it's you just cannot discuss or argue with previous success that has become the norm and that becomes the way of deciding the future literally and over a period of time uh, not just in just organizations industries settle into a norm it's very fascinating over a period of time the entire industry can look alike everybody is virtually doing the same thing business models look the same processes products they all begin to look the same and uh, which is inevitably what gravity has done to them and over a period of time we will say well this industry is saturated this industry is commoditized i urge you to think there's nothing called a commoditized industry it's just commoditized mindsets and that is mindset gravity at its best and i love you also talk about how over time that gravity sneak, sneaks up on us and we we produce these sort of mental models and i think some people out out there are familiar with this this sort of peter senge idea of mental models but they really do determine um a ton of things because as you were saying not only people say oh i want to change the world eventually their mental model shifts to where that may not even be a possibility and so we have to kind of break out of these different mental models right and actually the the uh, over a period of time mental models can define how we look at the market who we consider our customers is is what do we believe the customer needs and what is the best business model to do engage with the market what is the, the most uh, acceptable retail format all these are nothing but business models and over so sorry mental models and mental models happen over a period of time and david moving away from business a most fascinating example of mental models is the way aliens are depicted in films hmm. i'm sure we all see them that aliens in all forms of most imaginative films films are still at best deformed human beings you notice our mental model of life is us and we just cannot imagine it beyond it so we we end up giving the alien a bigger brain more arms more eyes but it it, it is actually a deformed human being it's very tough to imagine anything else and even if somebody did try to imagine it maybe us the people in our comfort zones won't like it in any case that 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 that's another very visible example of a mental model which is entrenched Yeah and you know it actually recalls to me as a study on that people actually use that draw a picture of an alien as a test of of creative or innovative thinking. Ideally the people who are more stuck in these mental models are less able to even see the innovative opportunities out in front of them. Orbit shifting or not the the more constrained that mental model is around something as simple as an alien or around something as simple as this is how the business model is supposed to work actually constrains that innovative thinking. So I guess my follow-up question then is how do we break out of all of these things? So what how do we start on this path to orbit shifting innovation? Actually the start point as we, uh, as we talk with uh, engage with a lot of organizations on is 
is, is not to start generating ideas. In fact, uh, the, the, uh, the usual start for most organizations, for most teams is when we want to innovate in a space, start generating ideas. And they, they, they'll go to a flip chart and start writing down a thousand ideas. The, the trouble is most of those ideas could be stuck in the old mental model without even knowing it. And after a period of time, a lot of such meetings finished with saying, you know, nothing really new emerged today. So the start point, in fact, what we urge teams is not to generate ideas, but to recognize, map, mental model boundaries. Just uh, just spotting them in itself can, may take a day or two, but that is worthwhile because the moment you spotted a mental model, you'll recognize a blind spot. Hmm. The 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 uh, more than say, uh, inadequate that uh, more than uh, more time is really needed in merely mapping mental model boundaries and recognizing them. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like uh, it, it, this is a, probably a bad analogy to use, but it'll work. It's sort of like an Alcoholics Anonymous, right, or any anonymous twelve-step program. The first step is realizing what your actual uh, limitations are, what your failings are, and so. In the case of trying to lead a, a more orbit-shifting innovation, it's coming to terms with the fact that we've got really constrained mental models and we've got to be able to see the blind spots, which is a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for, for example, in the world of literacy, uh, you know, it's, uh, to give you a non-business example, uh, we, we, when we look at India, uh, we have um, almost one-third illiterate. And now the the question is, how do you solve this problem of literacy? The the now the usual answer would be increase the number of teachers, schools, etc. Very infrastructure heavy solution which may take all of thirty years. Now the the question is, how are we looking at the market? You notice know, how are we looking at the people? We are looking at them as literate and illiterate. Now our, our mental model is divided them into two two neat categories and therefore figured out actually the most complex solution for everybody. And uh, when these mental model boundaries got challenged, that is this the only way of looking at these people? What emerged was a third space that actually an equal, almost one third of the people are neoliterates. They are not literate or illiterate. And it's, uh, when I use the term, you might be wondering, what is a neoliterate? Neoliterates are people who can recognize alphabets but can't put words together. Hmm. Now, how do you deal with that group? And from there emerged a very powerfully, the moment this blind spot became visible, from there emerged a very powerfully simple solution. You know, it is called same language subtitling. Now, you see films which are subtitled in different languages. But what about subtitling the same film in the language? Now, you can imagine for a lot of Indian households, the television comes in even before the physiological needs are met. Hmm. Now, Fact is, they are seeing this. If the same program is subtitled in their language and it has started happening, they start following it and they start putting words together. Now, it's fascinating. This actually, this solution is working so beautifully. And can you imagine the cost of this solution versus the infrastructure heavy solution? And, and to think that one third of the world, there are almost 340 million people are actually neoliterates. No, it's utterly fascinating. So this is a classical blind spot, yeah. which comes from a mental model which segments a market into literates and illiterates. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a lot of times just in general when facing a problem, we feel like we know, uh, and it's the mental model that, that limits us. We feel like we know exactly what the problem is. And, and a lot of, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the work of Continuum, the design consulting firm. And the first thing they do is take a phase zero. They call it step back, re-examine, question all assumptions and say what is the actual problem when you do that you find 
um, programs like that, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm utterly fascinated with that idea. And it makes me wonder in the United States, for example, where I am in the educational system, we think we know what the problems with training up students to get towards completion, et cetera, are, but maybe we're constrained on mental models of just over-categorizing students, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and the, 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 the other very fascinating blind spot is in the world of banking. Where for 75 years, banks all around the world had the same blind spot. They treated their customers as people who save and don't invest. And so the idea of a mutual fund did not come from a bank. Hmm. Fascinating, isn't it? All around the world, the same blind spot. And hmm. uh, and this is how strong gravity can be, and entrenched mental models can become without even and and it's not really malintent. It's just that we don't recognize the blind spot. No, I mean it's it's very gravity is a great analogy. It's something that we all feel, but we are all so used to. It's hard to even recognize that we have it, right? And the, the, the deeper still, David, if I may, is country and cultural gravity. Where in, uh, you know, uh, country, uh, organizations that emerge from the developed world, where, where when they enter an emerging market, they attempt to replicate and not adapt. Hmm. I mean, the, the assumption is that we know it, we have it, and we have to now give, uh, succeed in this market. And when, they, and when it doesn't work in that market, their response is, this market is not ready yet. I don't know if you've heard that, but I've heard that many times. <laughs> when people say this market is not ready, yes, it's fascinating because in reality, uh, the markets are always ready. We are not ready for the market. The markets expect something else. And uh, and uh, it's amazing how frequently this runs into diminishing returns and how frequently organizations say the same thing over and over again. You know, for example, in the UPS industry, the uninterrupted power supply, uh, the, the, when these companies came into emerging markets, they came in with a UPS mindset, and UPS was associated with computers. You know, for the, that is where the UPS was used in developed markets. So when they took it to emerging markets, they, they replicated the same formula. So the size of the market was equal to the size of computer penetration. The way of selling it was through electronic stores. And only to discover two, three years down the line that they had missed the biggest opportunity in that market, in emerging markets, where the biggest problem is interruptions in power supply to houses. So the, every household was a customer. Hmm. It didn't have to do with computer penetration. Right. It was the same technology, but the same, but a, and a very painful blind spot. And uh, so that, that's really the country mindset which believes we have it. And we have to merely give, uh, access this market. And on the other hand, in emerging markets, they have a subservience mindset, just the reverse. Whereas the, the, the developed market mindset can sometimes amount to arrogance, the subservient um, um, mindset can dominate the emerging markets who believe that the best things have already happened out there. All we need to do is wait for that to come here. So really, therefore, they, they, they look at the trends emerging from developed markets rather than attempting to challenge it. You know, if if we had followed the trends of the developed markets, the mobile revolution would never have taken place. Uh, the entire mobile revolution is prepaid cards. Uh, the, the the whole product, the process, was a unique idea for a unique need in a unique market. Hmm. And it's fascinating how it has penetrated every household in these emerging markets, India, China, um, etc., but really, the, the, the prepaid was never a, uh, was not a model that emerged from the developed markets, but really evolved from there. 
Yeah, no, not at all. It's it's a it's a model that I think most people would rather would prefer to move past in the developed world. The the I mean the the prepaid market exists, for example, but at least in in my experience, so often it's associated with uh, various illegal activities instead of the the first step toward doing that. You know, we're in this contract and sell you a ridiculously expensive phone and a crazy monthly. Um, fee contract. And if you try and apply that model into that emerging market, you're exactly right. It doesn't work. But it, it it's interesting to me, though, how what you said with the subservience mindset, that what can occur is is rather than trying to create our own orbit shifting innovation, we just sit and wait for somebody else to bring their orbit to us. In fact, it, we reach the point where people don't, even when they do create a, we think of a big idea, uh, they start self-doubting it. So how could we have, we have been the first ones to have thought of it? You know, we've thought of it, those guys out there and those big companies must have already done it and actually dropped it many years ago. Uh, so uh, what that leads to is the self-doubt. And uh, the, the, the bigger enemy is inside, it doesn't even need to be outside. And so subservience uh, or in emerging markets can lead to enormous self-doubt. And in developed markets, this country and cultural mindset can lead to arrogance and which can create a blind spot equally. Hmm. No, it's, it's utterly fascinating, and, and for that reason, the, the book is utterly fascinating, Orbit Shifting Innovation, The Dynamics of Ideas That Create History. I wonder if we could switch a little bit from the mental models discussed in the book to maybe how you yourself are, are working around mental models. Ask you our, the two questions we ask all guests. Sure. Uh, the, the first being, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? <laughs> I know I know we're doing this in the midst of a crazy international travel schedule, so there has got to be some book or magazine that you're with that you're reading on all those airplanes, right? <laughs> well, they, 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 there are two that I am uh, flirting with. Uh, uh, one is a is a very old one, and one is a new one. <laughs> okay. The, uh, the 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 very new new one is is a, is a is a magazine around travel and new ideas around travel. In some part of my of my life, I am very very associated with travel. I I love conceiving new travel experiences and thinking of them. And in in, in some world, uh, you'd be fascinated. I'm also happen to be reading a Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> So that is worlds apart, literally. But what I enjoy, they are equally. Uh, you notice some of these uh, extremely well-written, uh, whether who done it or few humorous stories, are all about mental model shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in no, very lead, much so. In fact, they lead you along a track very successfully, only only to be surprised in the end. <laughs> right, the, the, and, that, and that's inevitably the design is shifting the entrenching you into a model and then shifting it. Yeah, in, that, that's what creates suspense or surprise, right? Yeah, no, and that's and proof proof that we are all more constrained by gravity and by mental models than than we thought. Uh, so I, I wonder then this this book is, has been out for a little while. There's always uh, you know I'm keeping tabs on the consulting firm and on your work, and I know there's always things that are coming up. What are you or your team working on now or, or working on in the future? Actually, for for, for us, the the the. Uh, the we work with businesses, social enterprises, and public services. So I think the biggest challenge for us, and our mission really is to, to, to enable the country, to, to uh, India in this case, to, 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 to leverage innovation, to leapfrog growth and development of people. Hmm. I mean, essentially, and therefore, right now we are very engaged with uh, creating innovation roadmaps for states. Hmm. 
So really, and in any case, uh, to, to have a, a larger impact on life. And to, for us, orbit shifting innovation is a cause first and a business second. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I love that that is the passion that, that drives it. Because, you know, I, we are traditionally, you know, Leader Lab is about leadership, innovation, and strategy in all domains so often that turns into business. But I am still, my mind is still bending over the literacy model and seeing just how much we need in order to drive ideas that change history in all sectors. Uh, we need orbit shifting innovation. Uh, oh, absolutely. In fact, I think the, the biggest uh, leg legacy of the word innovation, which is unfortunate in a baggage, is it's, it equals invention. Uh, it is drawn from in invention and therefore has become equivalent to technology, uh, R&D, and has grossly limited itself. Whereas the, the biggest innovations of our times are really the application of existing know-how in new ways. There's so much know-how sitting around the world in different domains and different fields, which needs to come together in uniquely different ways to, to, to really make a leapfrogging impact. And then believe me, a whole lot is sitting there. We don't have to wait for that big new technological breakthrough. Well, in the meantime, I know a pretty good place to start, and that would be by picking up a copy of Orbit Shifting Innovation, The Dynamics of Ideas That Create History. It's a, it's a, it's a book that, just like those mystery novels and those whodunits, it's a book that will get you to question your, your mental models. The difference is it won't entrench you in a mental model first. It will just trigger you to take a deep look at yours and see where your own blind spots are, where the blind spots of your organization are. So for that reason, uh, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thank you, David. Great to be here, and here is a wish that all of you lead an orbit shift. Hey everybody, it's David from the Leader Lab Podcast. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast episode. And I want to remind you that you can get even more content from us if you connect with us online. We're at Twitter, twitter.com slash LDRLB, Facebook, facebook.com slash LDRLB. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher, or just subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll email you every single time we post a new episode. Thanks so much for being a part of the community. Look forward to giving you even more great content.